We have an announcement. XY Advisor is raising cash in an equity crowdfund held by Birchall. Um, so you can find it at birchall.com forward slash company forward slash XY Advisor. If you'd like to own a piece of the social network moving forward, uh, it'd be great to have you as an investor. All right, onto the podcast. Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, to join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. G'day, g'day, how's it going? What do you know, Striker Like Clayton here from XY Advisor with Adam all the way over in the UK, Next Gen Planners. Mate, thanks for being here. Hi, Clayton. How are you? Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Um, so we're having a grand old chat before we actually hit the record button. I was like, actually, let's, uh, let's continue this when there's a little red flashing dot. Um, mate, what do you foresee there to be uh, in terms of the UK had a huge amount of changes and when Australia has experienced those changes. And then the UK kind of went, uh, oh, wow, it's hard to operate in a, such a strict environment. So then they kind of loosened the regulations again. Do you, has that been a good result or a bad result ultimately? Or has all, the, has all of the sort of messing around from a regulatory point of view, is advice in a better position or a worse position now? That's a great question to get into at the, right at the start, isn't it? And <laughs> I think, I think, you know, it's, um, of course, I'd have to say that, yes, it is in a better position now than it was. Um, but we've gone through a really long journey. You know, if you, if you look back um, to when I started in the profession in the mid-1990s, then, um, you know, I arrived on my first day and uh, I was uh, you know, pointed in the direction of where the training was. I went to the training. I did about a week of um, one exam and a bit of soft skills training. And I was given a, a briefcase because that's what happened back in those days. Um, some 20 pence pieces so I could use a phone if I couldn't find a client's house, uh, a list of telephone numbers, and a maximum investment plan brochure. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. Armed with a maximum investment plan brochure, I headed out into the world. And of course, every problem um, was the solution was going to be a maximum investment plan for the first few weeks until there was something else. And, you know, that's how many of us back then started in the profession. I think that, um, you know, the, the UK government. Um, saw a whole series of mis-selling scandals and a whole series of issues uh, for the customer and you know decided that actually what we needed was a single regulator and so that single regulator came about and uh, at the beginning of the, the 2000s ultimately the financial service authority and um, did okay but it was a it was very much a prescriptive regulator to begin with and we went through a whole series of changes the profession in the mid um, 1980s and late and early 1990s had a quarter of a million people uh, in the advice space. Today we've got around about 26,000 in the advice space, so a huge decrease in in numbers. Um, and you know a lot of that is to do with technology as well as regulation. But ultimately, the um, you get the regulation that you deserve based on the legislation that you create. And, and I think that is the the fundamental issue. And um, and successive governments. Um, tweaked the regulations through the legislation, um, but then blamed the regulator if it went wrong. 
And ultimately, if you don't give the regulator the, the right powers, point them in the right direction and give them the, the right guidance from a legislative point of view, it's really hard for the regulator to sit in a space where the, the consumer population, the advisor population are attacking the regulator when they get it wrong. And their response will often be, well, actually, we don't have the power to do the things that you'd like us to do. Um, and then to be accountable and answerable to government and successive ministers and government committees, where the government committees are actually ultimately responsible for creating that legislation. So, you know, the regulator gets a fair amount of flack. But in terms of the way that the rules have changed, I think that, you know, we are seeing a development in professionalism. And, you know, we are seeing a, a much higher quality across the board of advice. But of course, there are, there are still issues and there are still road players um, that need to be um, dealt with. And, you know, the regulator does work hard to do that. But, um, you know, many would say at times not hard enough. I think that goes back to that legislative issue sometimes and the power that they're given. Yeah, that's an interesting view of it. I, I have a similar theory is that if you solve it at its core, I guess, issue, which is, uh, and, I, and let me know if it, if it was similar prior to the changes the UK went through, but you have a million voices or, or, or in reality in Australia, we have sort of like six or seven or eight different sort of overlapping uh, legislation and, uh, and, and rules and regulations. And it's, they all kind of not fit together properly. And they, some of it contradicts even the other because they're so, they're so autonomous. Did the UK attempt to solve all of the, the confusion by just saying, actually, we're just going to wrap it up into one place with one final voice uh, and almost start from the beginning? Would that be one way to look at it? Oh, it's definitely, yeah, that's definitely what was attempted. And it, you know, ultimately it, it resulted in, um, as would be perceived from the politician's point of view, failure. You know, the financial crisis wasn't prevented by the regulator. Now, there's many arguments to say the financial crisis could never have been prevented by the regulator. But, um, you know, if you don't give your regulator enough power um, to act, then, of course, they can't act. They can't act outside of scope and outside of legislation. Um, so, so ultimately, yes. But I think also, for me, the, the principle of top-down regulation only works so far anyway. You know, it's like, it's like any set of rules or laws. Um, you, know, you can create a set of rules and laws, but people will break them. And if people have a higher priority then they will choose that priority over the law or the rule. And, and that in itself, therefore, is for me only part of the solution. And I think actually the bigger part of the solution is to actually empower the buying population, you know, people who are actually seeking out advice and seeking out these products. If we actually um, give them higher levels of education so they understand what to look for, you know, people really need to know um, the difference between what a, a rogue player and somebody who's professional and trying to do the right job is. And it's not always that clear when you first meet somebody, you know, they're going to be, they're going to look professional. They're going to behave politely. They're going to look to be your friend and build a relationship. So how does the, the customer actually know the difference? And top-down regulation can't solve that. You know, they can do as many scam adverts and all of the other things that they want, but they'll only reach a small proportion of population. You know, we need to work much harder at democratizing the process so that people have a much greater understanding. And then where does next gen fit in, in the UK landscape? So you guys sort of approach it very much from a, 
Um, we've got some ideas around what uh, improving advice looks like. Here you can opt into our community. Um, was, it, was it an organic sort of, I guess, confusion with the system and wanting to prove it from a bottom-up point of view? Is, is, that, is that the story? Yeah, it's a lot like that. I mean, the, the story goes, um, two disgruntled northerners in a pub um, met and um, discussed the state of the profession. And, uh, and you know, we joke about that. But when um, the other Adam and uh, Rohan got together and on those, uh, those early days, they, they'd got to the point where actually they didn't think that many of the professional events and the things that they were, they were able to attend were for them. And, you know, as younger financial planners at the time, then uh, they wanted something a bit different. And, uh, you know, we know that as we go forward, communities will dominate brands. It will be no longer that you'll be able to sell a, you know, a badge to somebody. It will be the community that decides whether something is worthwhile or not. And so the, the point of Next Gen Planners was very much to start at that place of community and to get people together who have a learning mentality and an always learning mentality to be inclusive and to look to build something that is collaborative. And you know, that is the absolute at the core of Next Gen Planners. Are you familiar with uh, actually, they're called XY Planning Network in the US. Are you familiar with that with that group of people? Yeah, we've had Alan Moore over. Um, he spoke at our conference a couple of years back, in actual fact. So, yeah, right. Uh, Alan, Alan gave us a, a great speech on um, niching, as he calls it. It still doesn't quite, <laughs> still doesn't quite resonate here in the UK. We like to say niche here yes. in the UK. Yes. But um, whichever way around we look at it, he, uh, he came and talked about niching for us. And, uh, and yeah, you know, those guys do a great job. And um, certainly, you know, there's so many organizations around the world that we take inspiration from. Uh, because again, it is about you know I, it's such a it's such a big opportunity, such a big profession, and there's huge levels of disenfranchisement in in the you know the client space. Mm. So many people just don't have access to financial planning, financial advice, just basic financial product understanding. And so you know it's a vast space out there, and there's a comparatively very small population of financial planners, advisors, you know, other, other people in the profession. So, so ultimately, you know, yes, we can compete and we can, we can look to gain advantage or we can just share information. And, you know, that environment of sharing information, uh, building understanding, learning from each other, uh, you know, understanding that best practice isn't something that you just have to yourself you know yeah. yes people have intellectual property their logos their branding sometimes their technical approach whatever it might be but ultimately the more we share then the the better we all become and you know that's got to be a good thing i think yeah no um goes without saying it's a, a mandate that we've uh, we've sort of held dear close to us as well um it's, it's just kind of interesting that on that uh, independently all over the world, this idea that financial planning is too important not to be done well has sprung up all over the world. I find that really interesting seeing what you guys are doing over, over in the UK and what the, the, the American guys are doing over in the US. Um, I've no doubt that there is a similar thing in South Africa, though, it, though it's probably not quite as organized yet, but it definitely looks like it's, uh, it's getting there. Um, it's, it's almost this idea that there's a whole bunch of advisors that take the responsibility of achieving a better outcome for their client as a genuine responsibility and, yes. and, 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 and that it's, 
that it's not just lip service and that, you know, the powerful stakeholders, which is the larger, broader financial services industry, have had their ability to twist and turn uh, financial planning or financial advice to their wants and their desires and their needs for a long time. And uh, I have no qualm against that. That is the nature of capitalism and business models. That's totally fine. But also in the same breath, it's also the right of the advisors to say, is there anything else? And what's kind of interesting is it, the conversation has been happening for a long time all over the world. Uh, spring, you know, little shoots have, have, have been around for a long time. It's just more so now technology is allowing those people who were originally a you know, a disconnected bunch that didn't know about each other to, to get together and, and talk and uh, yeah, to, to play a small role in sort of centralizing that conversation and, and helping to promote that conversation is, as I'm sure you would fully appreciate, is, is, a, is genuinely a good, I would say, uh, job to have because the impact, if we do our job uh, well, then um, more advisors get better at their job and thereby uh, huge amounts of clients are ending up in better positions. So it's actually kind of this, uh, it's a feel good job. You know what I mean? Like we're doing, we're doing good work. So uh, the, I guess the only difference is on, uh, on our end, we don't happen to have as much experience as you do. So uh, we, we more facilitate conversations, but uh, I know that you guys are, are quite pronounced um, and do a good job. I would say in that content piece. So can you talk to us a little bit about your background? You mentioned really briefly of, of how you got into advice, but I'm kind of interested, um, you know, you're, you're one of the, or at least the internet tells me that you're, you're, you're a well-respected uh, uh, authority in financial planning. Obviously the, the next gen planning guys uh, were uh, agreed with that concept. You, you, you now you've come on to work with them. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your background or what you do and how your view of advice. And yeah, let's, let's get your opinion on these type of things. Thank you. It's, um, it's, uh, it's interesting and nice to hear you say that I'm an authority. It's, uh, <laughs> I think as we, as we get older and stick around long enough, um, somebody called me an elder statesman in a piece oh. the other week. So you, you start hearing these sort of phrases and titles, don't you? But, uh, but no, I think, um, you know, sometimes it is a little bit about longevity because we don't spend our entire career getting it right, do we? You know, that's the that's the thing. We are literally always learning, and um, and I think that sometimes you can bring that play in in what you then produce later on. I think it is you know there is something to be said about experiencing the the ups and downs of um, a profession. You know, that when I first joined, started as an industry, I uh, you know you asked sort of a, a potted history. I was an advisor and planner. I set up a, a, an independent financial advisory business, then moved, um, well, didn't move, but we created at the same time a compliance organization. You know, I was relatively dissatisfied with the, the service that I was getting and uh, from my existing compliance provider. And, you know, when you, oftentimes in small business, as you'll be aware, you know, if, if you can't find it yourself and buy it from somebody else, then, you know, you instantly think, well, that might be an opportunity. There's clearly a gap in the market to do it that way. So, um, so we launched a compliance consultancy and then, um, and I you know, pivoted out of advice ultimately and moved much more onto the regulatory side, worked with the UK regulator and, and then moved forward to, um, you know, from 
that place into learning and development because you know once i'd seen the regulatory side and i i did um, some investigative work on behalf of the regulator in the uk and once i'd seen that side of things you begin to build a picture you know you've seen it from the advice side you've seen it from the regulator's point of view and then you can um you know maybe begin to think right okay how do we begin to connect these two so i began to look at <clears throat> how i develop uh, learning and development sort of practice and how I, how I looked at training. So I took a load of train, training accreditations and further qualifications outside of the financial planning profession. You know, we do all of our professional qualifications, but, you know, I'm currently president of the Personal Finance Society, the largest professional body in the UK, but I'm also a member of uh, another professional body, the Chartered Management Institute. And I, I don't think that you should be necessarily um, just part of one professional body you know there are there are lots of skills that we need in financial services and in financial planning in particular that um, aren't always satisfied by one single professional body and I think we can sometimes be a bit blinkered to that so I, my career went down that path and and these days obviously I do consultative work and and focus on what I do within next gen planners and the the, the big thing for me is you're right the the profession is now global and, and that's, that's remarkable. What we can achieve via conversations like this is great. And lockdown, I think, has, has really opened that out because more and more people have recognized that this is possible. You know, sometimes uh, those of us, I'm sure like yourself, Clayton, who, um, you know, have been using this type of technology for a long time, sometimes you think you've not got many mates to talk to online um, in Zoom rooms, et cetera. And then suddenly, you know, lockdown has, uh, has opened that out because everybody now understands how to Zoom. And, you know, ultimately then we're able to talk to more people. And, you know, we, we came off the back of our global commute a couple of uh, months ago, which was, you know, an amazing experience. I know you were tied up at the time, I think, having a baby, weren't you? But uh, Yes, you know, yes, that was, uh, <laughs> is, that was a tough time. It's a, shame, it's a shame you missed that. But, uh, you know, more important things, obviously. But, uh, yeah, you know, to, to be able to take 24 hours and um, to speak to financial planners all over the world and but to really you know in the first couple of hours i began to think you know these guys are all saying the same thing um from every nation in every time zone and as we went through america and then we came through hong kong and singapore and dubai and south africa and australia and new zealand of course along the way um you know everybody was saying the same thing you know everybody wants to be customer focused everybody wants to improve the profession everybody wants to share good practice and you know that's quite amazing when you begin to look outward um outside of your little territory and begin to look around the world and see that we are part of a global profession. That's inspiring stuff. It was even inspiring in, tw in hour 23 when I was still awake and uh, <laughs> you know, just reaching for that finish line. But uh, yeah, when you look at the amount of great people that are out there, um, you know, really just promoting financial planning. I think that the, for me, the way that the profession is developing to a, a, disin a, a disintermediated space where ultimately there isn't a product at the end of it does begin to move the balance of power away from providers and more into the hands of the financial planning profession but of course with that comes great responsibility as they say and uh, you know to quote peter parker's uncle from spider-man i think that was wasn't it but you know ultimately we we need to think about the the people who we don't serve sometimes as well you know, the profession is getting really good and financial planning is getting really good at providing a great high level service. 
but you know i'm really concerned that we don't price um people out of the market and you know if we if we spend our time looking after clients in a particular segment and we niche um then then that's great for individual businesses but how good is it for our society? And I think that as a profession, what we do need to do is, is remember that we have a responsibility to society to do this great work as well. Yeah, that is the, I guess, you're talking about, and as we call it, the positive evolution of financial advice. Like as, as advice evolves into a full and complete profession, uh, David Haynes, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he, he talks about above the line, below the line. And so combining those two elements uh, would be the, the, the holistic view of advice. And a lot of us and, and a lot of the attention is on making sure that everything above the line, everything below the line is done as well as possible. And you're just serving your clients and delivering fantastic outcomes. And that's the goal. But that does come with a price tag. And it's, and it's very interesting because then, uh, then you do, it, it, it then becomes an elite service, I guess, or almost like, like law or like, even like accounting, right? It, it uh, maybe, maybe not accounting so much, but certainly that, that, you know, it, it becomes something for that, the top sort of echelon of people to be able to afford and be able to get the benefit of. And then the amount of good, because the facts are that, financial planning has done so much more good than bad over the years. Um, it just so happens that unfortunately a lot of bad has occurred, but in a lot of ways, yeah, the, the downside of this really, this, uh, this March onward March to, to, the, to improving financial planning is kind of leaving this, the, the average family behind. Um, and I kind of look at it as in personality wise and the, the research sort of backs this up a bit high level, about 50% of people at DIY want to do it themselves. About 50% of people want to do things with other people. Um, and now the, the people that kind of would do it with other people, then you're really looking at only about half of those can really afford to get the advice and the other half can't. And so, um, and then that's just the adult population. And I'm not sure what the percentage of advised clients in the UK is, but over in, in Australia, that sort of represents how many people are getting advice sort of that the half of people that want help and the half of those that can afford it. And so you're looking at about 75% of the population that aren't getting advice or, or, you know, including children be like sort of 80, 85%. Um, but that whole segment of society, they need help as well. And so I'm with you entirely. I'm actually really clear on what it on, on, and I'm really bullish on face to face, financial planning. I'm really, I think good financial or great financial planning is the best thing money can buy. And I can, I don't think that uh, a human led financial planning to those a that want it and B can afford it is going anywhere anytime soon. I actually think it's going to be one of the last things along with, um, you know, like health and wealth are the two most important parts of life. It's super emotional. Corporate finance is corporate in nature but personal finance is personal in nature and you can't, you can't tell me no matter how good Siri gets that it's going, that I'm going to have emotional conversations with Siri. Siri is going to be fantastic for me to solve problems, but it's not going to be relevant to me to discuss the fact that I just became a father for, for, for a tip for, for a, for a, a time bound uh, example. 
Um, so I think financial planning, which, which skews far more into the personal uh, uh, finance sector, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I'm really clear. I'm really bullish and I think it's a great profession. I want to see it succeed. I'm also really clear on the other 75 or 80% um, that still need it because I think that there's a lot of benefit for them. It's just those particular tools uh, and, and methodologies aren't for them, but that's okay. Then there needs to be solutions for them, but I don't see them competing because either the people want to do it themselves and they are DIY and they want a tech solution or they can't afford the, the full service. And so I know that there's a, a, a guy um, in Brazil that's given advice to like half a million people. Um, he was, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a podcast here in Australia called the goals based advice run by Fraser. Shout out Fraser. Uh, he interviewed a, a Brazilian chap not too long ago. Name escapes me, but what he's done doesn't, which is he's been able to, to give advice for half a million people and now he's aiming for a million, right? So there are solutions on this scalable piece um, and I think that's a, huge, that's a huge undertaking and I think uh, a lot of advisors do need to eventually get into that because that, that is the huge sector of the market. In my mind, I'm really clear. Like one is for people who want to pay and one is for the masses. That's sort of that 75, 85, 80% of people. So uh, both of those, because ultimately people in better financial uh, positions are just happier. I mean, the number one stress in people's lives is money. So if you can help, help solve that, there's a huge amount of people that need to get help via a human-led help. And I honestly don't think that's going anywhere. I'm really bullish on that in the future. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, uh, these, these tech solutions, um, are, are a great solution. And those two strategies are for two totally different people and neither the two shall meet. I think you make some good points. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me, the, the one thing that comes in additionally to play there is when we think about the, the demographic model of our, in, in the UK, um, our financial planning and advising population, uh, we're not getting any younger, and uh, you know ultimately we have this um, this gap um, where actually the profession didn't recruit for a while. You know, when I came into the profession in the mid 1990s, um, there was a lot of recruitment going on, but then it all stopped um, as regulatory change occurred. You know, we talked about that earlier on, didn't we? And and ultimately one of the things that that regulatory change did it it created additional risk for the providers who were the mainstay of recruitment in the profession. And they, they saw that additional risk and that uncertainty as a, as a barrier to continuing to spend the amount of money they spent on recruitment. So, so we now have a situation where the average advisor age is, um, is you know, mid fifties and uh, we don't have enough people coming into the profession um, at this point with enough experience to actually build a proper succession path across the profession and you know when we see the profession being you know let's let's be generous and say it's 50 years old and um, but but ultimately financial planning you know took a long time to really begin to gain traction so only in the last 20 to 25 years have we seen you know this this idea of a, a much bigger financial planning market and i think for me that's one of the the big challenges is that we are the first generation of financial planners who have had to think about sustainability 
And, you know, it's been very uh, relatively easy to find new clients in the space that we've been needing clients to fit a particular business model. You know, the high cost of regulation, uh, the, the high cost of qualifications, examinations, building a practice, all of those things can be funded if you can find the right type of clients who will be able to access your product or service at that price point to achieve it and to, to ensure that the, the business that you've got is sustainable in the short term. But I worry about how many of these businesses are sustainable in the long term when we look at you know, a heavy reliance on this idea of intergenerational transfer of wealth, which on the back of two massive financial crises, I'm not sure that that intergenerational transfer of wealth will occur in the way in which many of these businesses are hoping it might. And, and I think that's why we need to do the work to, to you know, build bridges to uh, a new generation, um, because ultimately that new generation is going to have quite a lot of demands on any inherited wealth um, that previous generations didn't have. You know, inherited wealth could continue to be saved by our parents. And you know, now I think people will be looking to pay off mortgages, get onto the housing ladder, pay off student debt, all of those things that, that actually now exist um, in the forefront of people's minds when it comes to just getting by. And you know, how do we pivot some of those now what we would call traditional financial planning models to be able to be sustainable? Because I, I want to see businesses that last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years beyond their current um, practitioners, you know, the people who are running and owning them now. Um, but I'm not sure that many have got a plan beyond their own retirement for their business. And you know, there's, there's a real risk for me that as we go forward over the next 10, 15, 20 years, that many of the great financial planning businesses will stop when their current um, leaders within those businesses retire and will be you know, uh, uh, you know, consolidated into the marketplace. And, and that for me is a shame because I think that we've, we've built something and it's, it, we are at now a point where what happens and the decisions that are made in the next 10 years are likely to be quite pivotal. Yeah. What do you see as the future of financial planning? How do you see it in, say, 10 years from now? I think um, you're right. There is going to be a, a, a much more, I think there's going to be a much greater understanding of how technology can help the process to, um, to take those people who are disenfranchised and give them a product or a service that actually, you know, begins to build momentum. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, I think we will use more technology. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as against the idea of artificial intelligence um, as many would be. And I think actually artificial intelligence can really help in a situation where, you know, it's if we are talking to more people, particularly through the medium of the internet and Zoom, we're having fewer face-to-face -face meetings. It's harder to pick up on some of those um, nuances that actually we would pick up more in a meeting. And you know, the way that AI is going, um, you know, it's, it's now getting to the point where certain AI is beginning to understand the emotional responses of human beings and those subtle facial cues and those those tiny things that actually it's far harder for us to notice in normal conversation and and you know blending technology and using technology as a tool to help us better understand the people that we're talking to i think will begin to become the norm now again with everything it needs to be checked and we need to make sure that actually there is um we don't have an asymmetry of knowledge or power and you know, our profession in some ways has relied for many years 
not necessarily in the financial planning space, but in the advising space generally, has relied in many years in this idea of this asymmetry of power. We have the knowledge and therefore we charge you to, to use the knowledge that we have. And, you know, when we think about how we democratize that, you know, we, you know, the idea would be to actually give away more of that knowledge, to, um, to put that up front and then to assist people in implementing it. Because, you know, when knowledge is available at the push of a button, we can all Google search a solution. Um, but actually, why don't we then go and take action with it? And I think financial planning is about helping people understand their motivations about taking action. So we can let go of the knowledge. You know, the knowledge is we have to have it, and so we have to study, and that is part of our professional requirements. But actually, it doesn't mean that we have to keep it. And I think that the more that we share the knowledge over the next 10 years in particular, and the more that we can get out there in terms of those, that core information, then we can really just begin to build relationships with people and guide them in terms of how to use that knowledge that we've shared. Yeah, I think the internet, just by virtue of the fact that you can access any data at any point through a wrench into uh, all professional services, including even medicine. I mean, like who doesn't Google doctor themselves before going to a, a doctor, right? And then you're sitting there and you're like, oh, look, I'm pretty sure it's cancer. And they're like, it, mate, it's not cancer. And you're like, look, I've Googled it and it's definitely cancer. Um, that's just reality. Yeah. And so I, I, I think financial planning and all professional services lived in that that idea that we are the masters of the universe in this domain. And then you pay us for access as, as, as you mentioned and implementation. Um, but as that's changed with the internet, um, I still think, and as you've said, I fully agree that implementation and understanding why are two elements that, um, that are difficult to quantify, but are insanely valuable. And, and we know as advisors that all of the benefits of advice happen on the other side of implementation and of understanding, because if you better understand why you want something, then you're more likely to implement, implement correctly and implement in the long term, and not really waver from that. And then ultimately end up with the better outcome. And then that's the joy of financial planning, isn't it? You, you, you get to the end of that little short journey and um, having a client sort of thank you, or it might be short or it might be long sometimes. Um, I, I, I didn't get to be a financial planner for my entire career. Um, a part of me always wishes I did and I had stayed, but uh, at the end of the day, I needed to get out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's too important, I think, not to improve. It's too important not to get right. And it's, I'm just really, I guess, encouraged that the amount of international conversations I'm having on this Everyone, everyone agrees. There, there was recently um, something out of the US, life-centered planning. Um, the US and the UK, I think there, there was a combined thing. In all of that, I saw a term, it was humans under management. I don't know anything about that, who it is or what it is, or, but I loved that, uh, that, that name, humans under management. I thought that was a very, very, very cool concept. And, um, and yeah, it, it's, I think for the amount of stakeholders that have tried to control financial planning, I think the game is up. That's kind of how I feel. Um, and I know that there's always going to be advisors out there that 
say, oh, this is just pop psychology and it's not real financial planning. People pay me to do this, that, and the other. And you know what? Like, I totally get it. Some clients, they don't want a bar of it. You ask them what they want out of life, they go 10.5% return. Thanks, mate. Uh, so I totally get it. And, uh, and if you're an advisor and that's, that's what you deliver and power to you, you know, I've got no problems with that. But um, I think the entire conversation around financial planning since, as you said, even if we're generous and we say 50 years, it was exactly that. Right. And so I think stretching the conversation now to, to include people who engage with their money on a more emotional and the idea that life decisions are money decisions and money decisions are life decisions. Um, I think it's opened up what advisors can do uh, for clients. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's, um, it's the result of, I guess you would say the rise of the consumer, the desire to, 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 to be helpful and to solve real problems and, um, you know, competing in this sort of open market, not, not just real, not being this little tidy profession tucked away where we get paid our own little special way. And we don't, you know, we don't do that whole acquire clients and then charge money. You know, we do our own little thing. Well, nah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of come to an end as well. And in a lot of ways, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, like change in real time sucks. Like no one likes to go through change. And I think financial advisors the world over have been forced through change, rapid change as well, but there's a lot of positivity on the other side. Um, so before we go, uh, what are some really cool things that Next Gen Planners has created in terms of content? How do people find out about it if they're interested? And um, how do people find out more? Yeah, well, thank you. And it's, it's nice to ask. And we should give a, a shout out to the work that Andy Hart at Humans Under Management is doing, actually, because uh, Andy's a, a friend of Next Gen Planners. He's been a, a member at Next Gen Planners since the very, very beginning. Oh, I cool. think he was, he was in the first 20 people to, uh, to join Next Gen Planners. And, uh, and they've got a conference coming up in September. And, uh, and you know, in, based around South Africa, of course, it'll be a virtual conference now. But, but Andy's been taking that message out around the world um, for you know, three years years more now so you know he's doing a great job and uh, and yeah you know sometimes you you look at a phrase that someone comes up with and you look at their branding you think oh if only i'd have thought of that <laughs> and uh, you've got to give it to andy for that one it's uh, it's great but uh, yeah at next gen planners we're um we've got so much on and it's always great to um to be creating and um you know we the the big point for us is that um, you know we want to create a, a platform and then we want to put some great people on that platform. So um, of course we we do our training contract work and we we do the practical nuts and bolts work of supporting people um, through their careers. But the whole point is that we've created this structure of classroom through to boardroom. So um, over the next six months, we're rolling out our university boot camp. Um, wow. to uh, more and more universities, 13 across the UK, um, working alongside the Chartered Insurance Institute um, to do that. And so there we pair undergraduates with employers. Um, we put them through their paces for a day so that the employees can really see the, the skills and behaviours of those undergraduates. And yeah, that's, that's purely a pro bono piece that we do in order to find people jobs. And it's about actually wow. creating jobs. Because so much of the work that we do as a profession is, is about talking to people about you know, they should be they should be joining the profession mm -hmm. and we do quite a lot of that but actually you know from our point of view it's more about the practical you know let's get these people into real jobs mm -hmm. 
And so really excited about that. Um, we'll, uh, we're expanding our um, speaker and influencer program. So this year, our conference, we, we traditionally over years done our normal conference um, piece where you'd um, invite speakers, fly them in from all around the world, they'd stand on stage and you know, we'd get our community together to watch these great uh, speakers. But what I realized looking at our conference in 2018 um, no, in 2019, sorry, the years are merging now because of lockdown. But yeah, in 2019, <laughs> I looked at that and thought, well, actually, what people are here for is to meet each other. We've got such a great community that uh, people just want to meet their mates. You know, they want to catch up, mm. they want to talk. And although the conference speakers were great, the real buzz was around, you know, actually meeting people that they've connected with online over the course of a year. And so we, we turned it on its head and created the Speaker and Influencer Program to, to put 30 people on our stage in this year's conference that hadn't spoken publicly much at all, some of them not at all. And, um, and we put them through a six-month program to um, to effectively you know, look after their uh, their presentation skills, help them with the narrative of their their talk, but also we provided mental health support because that's really important. You know, when you look at the um, the level of stress that public speaking has for many people, that we needed to make sure that they they were supported in that way. And that six month program, then in our virtual conference, as it turned out to be, put them on stage on the uh, on the main day of our conference for um, for their talks. And that was that was a, a just an amazing experience. You know, we talk about the journey, don't we? And, and in fairness, it was really was journey from people who started with with no speaking experience to uh, to get up there and do that and, and deliver it incredibly well. And, you know, our, our goal is to is to create this platform and then help our community with it. So next year, we're taking that into four countries we're doing wow. 120 speakers um, so we're going to be inviting volunteers from australia south africa america and the uk and um and you, you know we will put them through the program it's all free for our people who volunteer um to to get them to a point where they're confidently delivering their talk at conference and and then beyond that we then help them to find other opportunities to spread their message and to, and to sort of go out there into the world and you know spread a really great message of financial planning and you know how it is to be part of this great community so so that's exciting we have our accelerator program to help um younger financial planners and those in who are looking to develop their businesses to uh, to get a foot in the door and get off the ground for those um and we have our future leaders program which again is part of this idea of classroom to boardroom we've been working um for a number of years now with financial planners and many of them are getting to the point where they're ready to knock on the door of their, their current employers um and to say you know we actually want to step up in to senior positions within this business but again there's not a lot out there to help financial planners to to understand the concepts around leadership and management and running a business and corporate governance uh, you know all of our qualifications tend to focus very much on technical financial planning aspects and so we put a program together there to support in that and a whole heap of other things that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. I've probably <laughs> said, I've probably said too much already. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It sounds amazing. That sounds really cool. So m most importantly, how do people find out more? Oh, they can come to the website. They can listen to the podcast. Um, they can contact me directly. We're all on the various social media channels and all that type of stuff. Um, we're actually going to, uh, we're, we're putting some stuff out on XY Advisor over the, uh, the coming weeks, particularly related to the speaker and influencer program. Hey, so it'd be that great to awesome. hear from 
yeah, well, it'd be great to hear from some Australian planners who want to join that program over the six months, January through to the, the summer next year. I'm terrified of speaking. I might join. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's open to all. And, um, you know, the, the big thing with it is that um, I think that's the thing is the, the fear of uh, public speaking in particular. Now, we can do this type of stuff. We can chat yeah, on podcasts and Zoom and all the rest of yeah. it. Um, but actually, even on a Zoom, um, when it comes to the fact that you've got 120, 200, 300, whatever number of people it is that are actually sat just staring at a screen with you talking on it, um, it's still intimidating, even if you're not in an auditorium. We are very hopeful that at least part of our conference next year can be auditorium based but much of it will still be um virtual because we want to reach a global audience and you know we we recognized this year that when we pivoted to that that virtual conference concept that so many of our members from around the world were able to join it that wouldn't have got to to london and and yeah, it's finding a blend. It's about, I think, doing some of it in a physical uh, realm and then some of it in a virtual realm so that we can be inclusive. It's hard to be inclusive if actually to get there, people have got to get on international flights, etc. So I think that, you know, we're looking to make the most of both, uh, both aspects of that. Awesome. Well, mate, it sounds really good. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, yeah, if, if I could, I would definitely fly over there uh, but alas, Qantas is not allowing anyone out of this country. Um, no, sad, sadly, at this point, we're all um, we're all in semi lockdown along the way, aren't we? But uh, you know, it's it's interesting for me, Clayton, that it's it's brought more of us together as well. You know, we feel more separate, physically restrained, but actually, you know, we can talk to people all over the world. I think we're now yeah. more willing and open to do it. You know, just this conversation wouldn't have happened six yeah. months ago had yeah. it not been for the fact that you know we've created this new space where we talk and i think that's yeah there are lots of um, lots of horrible things going on in the world but the fact that we're able to do this and to to talk to our peers and to talk to people who are just really engaged and interesting and, and interested in what we are doing in the financial planning profession i think that's brilliant yeah awesome man well again thank you so much for coming on thanks very much